electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I'll be one of my friends. I'm just trying to make a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. It was always about the hurdles. The hurdles this week that we had to clear before the market could go higher again. Namely, the Fed meeting, the Apple quarter, and today's employment report. Once the hurdles were behind us, even if they weren't perfect, we knew that we could have a relief rally. Sure enough, today we got more of a sigh of relief. We got a bullish jaunt that made this week's torture more bearable. Dow only gaining 547 points. S&P jumping 1.85%. The NASDAQ pole vaulting 2.25%. House of pleasure. For the first decade of my 40-odd years in this business, I would dread weeks like this. I would do my best to trade out of them, to get flat, so to speak. But over time, I've come to embrace the unknowable, as long as it's on a schedule. We knew the Fed would meet, right? And there would be a semblance of reliability to it. Why? Because, like, Jay Powell, he's a, he's a pro. He, he knows how to handle himself. Sure, I wish he'd acknowledge the destruction wrought by the collapse of First Republic last weekend. But I'm still glad he tightened by a quarter point because today's oh, hot employment number fully justifies that rate hike. And maybe even another quarter point in the next Fed meeting. As far as Apple, what do I tell you? Own it, don't trade it. And that philosophy worked again. I refuse to be shaken out of the world's best company by one errant component supplier or a couple of joker brokers who say, hey, things have gotten weaker. It was a classic misdirection play. Sell, sell, sell. And I hope you didn't fall for it. I did my best to keep you in. We saw something similar, by the way, from AMD, another charitable trust named after reported a few days ago. But if you sold into weakness, you're kicking yourself now that we know they've got something big cooking with Microsoft and the artificial intelligence front. Oh, look, I don't tell you to not sell the stocks because I want you to endure a huge amount of pain. The house of pain. I want you to endure. House of pleasure. Then today, we cleared the third hurdle with a hot jobs report. Definitely not what the Fed wants to see, although it tells you a great deal about the resilience of the economy and how amazing it is. The important thing, though, is that we got it over with, which is what allowed us to roar, especially if you consider that previous months turned out to have been overstated a bit, so maybe the actual a spike in hiring was more, let's say, even. We know there's still one more hurdle, and that's the debt ceiling. That's much tougher. It'll linger until June, probably, which is why I recommend doing some selling near the end of the week, because you want some cash on the sidelines as this crisis plays out. And it will play out, but it is a crisis. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. This coming week is a lot less difficult than the one we just went through, in part thanks to none other than Warren Buffett. That's right. CNBC will be back with Oklahoma and Omaha once again. Oh, look at this. Here you go. 
So I don't know what you're doing tomorrow. I mean, maybe this is when you get up after Sanko tomorrow, right? Uh, and, and it's going to be wall-to-wall coverage starring Becky Quick at the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting, which usually spells good news for the market on Monday. It's like a Buffett hangover, kind of like what you'll have over the Seiko to Mile case. Because Buffett's an optimistic guy, and his folksy defense of American capital markets usually leads to a positive reaction. Yes, people can actually remember. They can remember from this day to that. It's rather extraordinary. You don't necessarily need to sell in the Buffett bounce, but I think a ton of people tried to get in ahead of it today. That was part of the big rally. They know the pattern, and it's true, and I've watched it for years. You buy them today and unload them midday Monday to people who didn't know how bullish Buffett was. So uh, definitely, if you're going to buy anything, wait till after the selling stops. Tyson reports Monday morning, and it is, frankly, inconceivable. Inconceivable to me that, that this company can continue to be as awful as it is. It's become the benchmark of suboptimal. After the close, we hear from PayPal, another serial disappointer, although the last quarter wasn't as bad as the four before it. If you want upside, maybe you go with Skyworks Solutions because it has big business with Apple. And we all know now how Apple's doing, uh, which is fabulous. Next. I find that if you want to get a read on the broader economy, you need to do what's known. Uh, you need to listen to the the chemical companies because they're pretty much the basis of so much economic activity, which is why on Tuesday I'll be listening to Air Products, APD. This industrial out, uh, gas alpha competes against Kramer fave Lindy, which is the cream of the crop. So if Air Products misses and pulls down the whole group, we are likely to be telling you, uh, if you're a member of the investing club, to buy some Lindy on weakness. Now, we still hear about companies not getting enough semiconductors. Global Foundries has been straight with us about why that's happening. So we'll listen to see if the chip shortage has finally been cured. This is an insanely difficult moment to pick semiconductor stocks right now. They have such divergent trajectories. Auto going different from telco, which is going different from data center. They're all in different cycles, with PC being the worst. These guys can help us figure it out. Circling back to Warren Buffett, lately his favorite stock has been has been Occidental Petroleum. I believe he'll speak favorably about it this weekend. I doubt the quarter will be anything to write home about, given the recent decline in prices of oil. But it might have a Buffett trampoline under it when it reports after the close. Travel has been red hot, right? We all know that. Yet Airbnb has not been able to benefit from the way, say, uh, Marriott has. I wonder if this could be the quarter that that perception changes, if not reality. I'm looking for some good numbers, especially from high rollers. They were supposed to be absent, according to the last time that Airbnb reported. Now... The one big macro number next week is on Wednesday morning, and that's the consumer price index. Now, I think it's going to be hot. Now, why? I look at the components, and the component that's really driving everybody crazy, particularly the Fed, is housing. Fortunately, gasoline has been crushed, but we aren't getting a break in rents, and rents are what are factored into the CPI. I also want to watch for apparel. Prices have come down hard for close of late. I hope the CPI at last captures those changes. It sure hasn't yet. The CPI is not being calculated correctly. I wish I could have a crack at it. I would fix it. Also, that is not hubris. I actually look at the stuff. Also, Wednesday morning, we get results from Wendy's. And I think it could, be, it, it, it could thrive like McDonald's and restaurant brands. Remember, we had them on the other night? Because Wendy's shoot operators, too. If they want their stock to soar, they just need to contact Jensen Wong, CEO of NVIDIA, and see if they can use AI to take drive-through orders, thereby saving a fortune on labor costs and never having mistakes. Because, well, chat, GPT, it doesn't even know how to make mistakes. Now, just so you know, I want to asterisk this quarter. My wife only had one Baconator the whole last three months, so she didn't help the cause this time. Wednesday evening, we have the most consequential reports. 
Walt Disney. The stock roared today for no particular reason. And I want you to know what we're, we've been telling investing club members. Do not buy Disney either. Uh, for this quarter. Interim CEO Bob Igers hasn't had enough time to adjust to a new world of fewer viewers and higher costs. I buy it after the quarter, not before. This week, we got some incredibly positive numbers from Simon Property Group. That's the shopping mall kingpin. Does that mean the tapestry, the owner of Kate Spade, Coach and Stuart Weitzman, denizens of Simon's stores, will have uh, the mall, will have a great quarter when it reports? I wish I could be more definitive. These days, if you want good retail exposure, I just tell you to go by MasterCard. Next, has Yeti stabilized? Everybody loves Yeti, right? I mean, I carry one around. Don't, don't you? You have one, but the stock's been not that great. Yeti knockoffs are responsible for that. In the world, it's impossible for them to beat the numbers because there are so many knockoffs. I think it's doing fine, but anything consumer discretionary has been a loser. I like to listen to them, though, because I think it's such a terrific company. I just wish that other companies would stop stealing their IP. Finally, on Friday after the close, St. Louis Fed President James Bullard speaks. You know what? This guy's become my true north in this market. Today, he said the Fed's finally caught up to where it had to, it, it, where it had to be in order to beat inflation. And he also acknowledged that we're near the end of the tightening cycle. That is my thesis exactly. And I'm getting it from him more than he's getting it from me, believe me. If we have more banking headaches next week, I wonder if he'll say we've gone too far. I trust him, and I can't wait to hear what he says. He had some very good comments today. Bottom line. We know there's no real gauntlet to run next week, but we also know the clock's ticking off for a debt ceiling deal. I don't have much faith in either side, and I don't trust the process because the market fell 19% from peak to trough during this period in 2011. I wouldn't be surprised if it happens again now that things are even more rancorous in Washington. So despite jumping three hurdles, remember that the fourth one will be lurking soon with no resolution in sight. So you might want to do some selling into the rally that began today and I believe continues through the week. I feel like taking calls. Just my predilection. Let's go to Rex in Missouri. Rex. A big Kansas City barbecue capital of the world. Booyah, Jim. I like Arthur's barbecue capital of the world. What's going on, Rex? Love Arthur's as well. First time, long time, Jim. We had one heck of a Super Bowl with your Eagles. Well, yeah, except for the kind of uh, score. But go ahead. <laughs> to many more ahead. Hey, Jim, my stock is Walmart, WMT. I entered the stock around 140 in January. Love Walmart Plus and the fact it's overall defensive in a slowdown. My question to you is, since I, own, I owned Amazon already, is this too redundant? Or no, no, not like at all. The They're whole- very different. Amazon's trading on its web services. But anyway, I think Walmart is a winner. I like the stock very much. I want you to stick with it. All right. Now, we've gotten through most of the gauntlet, but the debt ceiling could oh man, but the debt ceiling could cause some real problems. Hey, I'm a pro. It is Friday. I'm ready for this. I'm not willing to endorse a lot of buying until it gets resolved and maybe do some selling at the end of the week. On Mad Money Tonight, Cigna reported a beat and raise quarter that surprised the street. So what was behind the company's strength? I'm getting the latest from the company's top brass. Then watch out, King Charles. There's a new king on Wall Street in the form of DraftKings. And I know those are often talked about together. I'm learning more after the today's 15% spike with the CEO. And Cloudflare soared to the clouds after Investor Day. So what could be next for the cloud stock after the recent uh, seesaw action? You don't want to miss my exclusive. Plus, you'll see what we're all doing after the close today by looking at this incredible 
New York Stock Exchange photo of none other than Corona and Modelo. But of course, we can't shoot that. But that's me just imagining that we can. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to Indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do we do when a company with a serious political overhang reports a terrific quarter? Tricky situation is it takes Cigna, the big health insurance company that also owns Express Scripts, one of the major pharmacy benefit managers, or PBMs for short. Here's a stock that's been a big winner last year. It was up 44% because Wall Street tends to love the managed care place going into an economic downturn or a slowdown. But this year, the stock's been hammered because Congress might pass legislation cracking down on the PBMs. This is one of the few businesses that seems to be hated by both Democrats and Republicans, although we're not sure that the legislators that are targeting the PBMs fully understand the business. Everyone in Washington wants to say they're fighting for lower drug prices, but actually achieving that legislation is not going to be easy. Either way, Cigna reported this morning, and it turns out they're doing incredibly well now. Coming beat on every major line, better than expected membership growth, lower than expected medical cost ratio. That's a key metric for insurance companies. And management also raised their full-year forecast, and that's how the stock could jump 7% today. And for the record, I think the PBMs actually do a good job. So can Cigna keep climbing, or do we need to be worried about these looming threats to the PBM business from Washington? Earlier today, we checked in with David Cordani. He has always been a straight shooter on Mad Money, the chairman and CEO of Cigna. Take a look. Mr. Cordani, welcome back to Mad Money. It's good to be with you, Jim. Yeah, it's great to see you. Last time I saw you, it's one of those situations where the stock is down big and people are concerned. And the stock ultimately was great because it was about the PBM and how terrific a PBM can be for both the customer and for Cigna. So let's start with the idea that you had incredibly positive member count surprise. And I'd like to think that some of that is because people recognize that there is a great bargain to be had if you are with a pharmacy benefit manager. So Jim, you're right. When you think about healthcare in the more broader sense, whether it's a medical health situation, a behavioral situation, oftentimes pharmaceuticals are involved. And the better we are at coordinating access to care and clinical programs around that, 
We're able to help people either maintain their health, regain their health. We're able to help employers have highly engaged, productive coworkers, which enables their businesses to thrive. Therefore, we are again growing as we step into 2023 with the addition of 1.5 million new customers to our portfolio. So we're off to a great start this year again. Now, you are doing some things that are, it's a very exciting time to be in, in your business. And I wanted you to speak to biosimilars, because I think that a lot of people in Congress want to regulate pricing. I want competition. Biosimilars are fabulous competition for, for someone who works, uh, who is a Cigna client. So biosimilars represent largely one of the greatest affordability gains or improvements in affordability for the American public. And they essentially are pharmaceuticals that are similar to specialty medications that are significantly lower in price, yet have similar clinical outcomes. And we're on the precipice of a significant amount of change. 2023 is a big transitional year where new biosimilars will be available. And Cigna, through our Evernorth business portfolio and our our Credo specialty pharmacy, is a leader in the space. So we'll be able to bring more choice to our patients and customers improved affordability to our clients, be they an employer or a health plan, and lower out-of-pocket costs for individuals. And that curve, Jim, that you're referencing is just starting. 2023 will accelerate further in 2024 and 2025 with more choice being brought forward for beneficiaries and improved affordability. So it's an exciting time, and we're pleased to be a leader in the space. Well, I know you are. And one of the reasons I do want to talk about uh, about the role of the PBM and Express Scripts, because I have, from your work, candidly, and from your teaching, understood and did not agree initially that uh, that Express Scripts or Farm Benefit Management really does help the customer. Now, in Washington, there's an investigation which talks about maybe there's not enough transparency and maybe that you a PBM gets to keep too much money. What you have taught me, and you can tell me whether things have changed, obviously, is that transparency is the role of the PBM, and the PBM argues to get the best price. So can you please explain to me the disconnect between what Congress may be thinking and what I hate to say is just the flat-out truth of the situation? So when you think about the, the market we operate in in the United States, first we have to admit it's somewhat complicated. However, at the end of the day, all health care is highly personal, and local. The role of a PBM or a pharmacy service organization is to help to lower prices, ensure that there's access to pharmaceuticals, and importantly, increasingly, be engaged in the clinical management of the polychronic population. Individuals sometimes are on six, seven, eight, nine, ten medications and the clinical coordination that goes around that. Now, as you articulate transparency, we believe significantly in transparency and we've continued to bring forth more and more programs that are are fully transparent from that standpoint because they create an opportunity to get alignment. Alignment between ourselves and an employer or a health plan or a physician, all with the same objective, to get the best possible clinical outcomes and value for individuals. And as a result, as a pharmacy services organization, we earn between 4 and 5% margin with all the work we're able to do. And we continue to engage with Congress, the FTC, and others to demonstrate those results as we go forward. Lastly, Jim, we're really excited. Over the last few weeks, we rolled out some new programs that we've perfected over the last couple of years um, for the benefit of clients and consumers to either cap out-of-pocket costs or to ensure full transparency for the benefit of employers. This will continue to fuel our attractive growth going forward. So we'll engage in that debate and dialogue. 
We're confident in the value we create, and we embrace transparency as a mechanism to generate better alignment and more value for those we serve. Well, I think what's important, addition to everything you said, which I think it helps outcomes, it helps affordability, it helps transparency. It is not like someone has a gun to my head and says, listen, you must choose Cigna. If I decide that everything you just said is not true, I can choose another plan. If I'm an employer with tremendous amount of resources to be able to make the decision, if I felt that Cigna ripped me off with the PBM, I could choose another plan. Is there indeed not freedom of choice in your industry? Oh, there is choice and there's competition. And we're fortunate as an organization We serve small, medium, and large-sized employers. We serve many of the independent health plans across America. We serve governmental agencies like CMS through Medicare, the Department of Defense, um, and we work with healthcare delivery systems. Think about integrated hospital systems to ensure they have the right specialty medications, but they have choices. And to your point, choice creates competition, Competition creates a relentless drive for innovation and more value. So, yes, there's ample choice. Now, let's let's talk about something that is very complicated. Uh, there are these two uh, drugs. Let's just, let's just start with Wegovy because Wegovy's diabetes, but also for weight loss. Uh, and then we'll be ultimately go to Moderna, but we don't need to do that. Uh, these are expensive drugs, but we could argue that uh, diabetes obviously uh, is an illness that's chronic, but that weight loss can be abused that there are lots of ways to get weight loss, but the drugs do work. How do you decide, you know what, I want our clients to be sure that they're as thin as possible because we know that's healthy versus the, uh, the cost of the product and whether it could actually bankrupt the system? So for, first and foremost, when a new medication comes to market, uh, an independent P&T or a clinical committee reviews those medications for clinical efficacy and then for what's called comparative effectiveness, affordability. But clinical efficacy comes first and front and center. Wagovi, we were an early adopter of Wagovi. We collaborated with the manufacturer on a contract that paid based on the clinical outcomes for the patient, not just for consumption. But importantly, to the crux of your point, we offer choice. We offer choice to our employer clients or health plan clients. As it relates to drugs in this class, in most cases, the drugs are fully covered for diabetes. Mm-hmm. In most mm-hmm. cases, currently the drugs in this class, employers taking that example, have the choice of expanding coverage for obesity application. And we think this space will evolve over time. So back to choice, it's important to ensure that choice is embraced. Two, the clinical dimension is reviewed independently. Value-based care or making sure payment takes place, in this case, to the pharmaceutical manufacturer based on the outcome. If you take a diabetic population, we want improved health outcomes for diabetics. There's alignment there. And then offering choice back to the employer. We think there's going to be continued innovation in the space, and we will seek to be a leader in support of choice and the clinical programs for the clients and patients we serve. Well, that is excellent. And I think that most, if not all, the people who are watching would agree that that seems like a a fair way to do things. I want to thank David Cordani, chairman and CEO of the Cigna Group. And gentlemen and ladies, I have been through this war to figure out what's right. You can see which side I've come out with. And believe me, that was not the way I started until David Cordani came on the show many years ago. David, thank you so much for coming back. Thank you, Jim. Good to be with you. We have money back here. Coming up, fantasy sports is a money-making reality. Can DraftKings put your portfolio in first place? 
Kramer gets in the game next. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Companies can always change their stripes, and sometimes they do it very fast. Six months ago, we got a hideous quarter from DraftKings, one of the top online sports gambling sites. And the stock, it plunged from $15 to 11 in a single session. Fast forward to last night, DraftKings delivers a magnificent quarter with a big revenue beat and a smaller than expected earnings loss thanks to lower customer acquisition costs and a better ability to keep those customers around after football season ended, which was surprising to me. On top of that, management raised their full-year forecast substantially, and they're likely to turn a profit by the end of the year. In response, the stock surged more than 15% today to $24 and change. Buy, 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 buy. House of pleasure. Yep, it's now more than double in six months. That's what stocks can do. Hard to do in mutual funds, really hard to do in treasuries. I wouldn't be surprised if this one can't keep running. By the way, hey, back before it came public, DraftKings was a CNBC Disruptor 50 company. And our network's rolling out the 11th annual list of disruptive start- uh, startups next Tuesday, both on air and online at CNBC.com slash disruptors. See, if we only did it this way, people would remember. But let's take a closer look at how DraftKings pulled off this incredible quarter. Earlier today, we got a chance to speak with Jason Robbins, the co-founder, chairman, and CEO of DraftKings, whom I met when he was a disruptor. So take a look. Jason, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you. Thanks for having me back on. All right. So let's get right to it. This was a conference call that you gave that I thought was a tour de force because you talked about revenue growth and efficiency. A lot of your compadres have one or the other. Tell us about how you were able to come to the conclusion that you needed both in order to shine. Well, it really started about a year ago. We had an uh, executive team offsite and we said, we've been so focused on revenue, we got to focus on cost. And someone said, well, you know, what is that? Is that going to be at the expense of focusing on revenue? And I said, no, we got to do both. 
And everybody just really rallied around that concept. And we, we sort of came with this concept of and, and we used it in various places in the business. For example, we got to make investments on the product side to win now, and we have to make long-term investments that may not pay off tomorrow, but will set us up to be competitive in the sports betting market of the future. Uh, and really just rallied the team around this concept of ands. We got to be able to do multiple things at once. We're going to be a, a big enough company that um, you know, execution is really the big thing and, and, and executing at scale. And I think we've done a nice job of doing that. And really over the last year, I, I commend the team uh, for really proving to the world that we can do both. Well, Jason, I have to tell you that I was concerned that you were spending so much money going into new states, including one effort that did not succeed. Instead, what I find you spending more time on now is coming up with really interesting games, a parlay within a game. Uh, the, uh, your uh, iGame is very exciting. Your streaming service. These are all things that make me feel like you figured out how to make money now. And if you get into other states, it'll be cookie cutter. I think, you know, at this point, the new state playbook is, is fairly optimized. We're still finding wins here and there, but we know how to execute there. And it's far more efficient, um, both in terms of the speed of ramp and therefore path to profitability and just the overall cost, I think, is, is improved. Uh, and you're right on the product side. I think really we've always viewed product as the most important area to invest in to win long term. Um, customer experience overall, which obviously the product is such a critical component of. And, I think that's true of so many tech industries that best product wins. And so really, you know, that's where we've been focusing. And I think we're also seeing that we can deliver high quality at a high velocity. That's been another thing we've said in our uh, sort of, you know, spirit of ands that speed and quality shouldn't be a trade off either. We can deliver great quality products and not sacrifice there while also delivering things faster than our competition. At the same time, I'm no longer worried or you, you're no, no uh, there's no overwhelm. There's no problems with getting the job done. So tomorrow uh, for the Derby, I'm not concerned. I think you're going to be ready. Oh, I hope so. You know, it's a big day. I think it's our first uh, Kentucky Derby with our horse racing products. So we're very excited about that. It's a new product for our customers, and we're looking forward to seeing how the Kentucky Derby goes. And um, it's a fun day. It's a great day in, the, you know, in horse racing. It's the most important day of the year, so we're, we're pretty pumped for it. You talked about something that I've always loved, which is that if there's certain people, certain teams that win, particularly underdogs, it becomes quite exciting. So why don't you just run through uh, what are the things that really make people feel great about gambling? Well, it's funny that that point is true of all things except for one, March Madness. Everybody, when all the, you know, when uh, you were seeing the, the FDU upsets and there is great, uh, that must be great for you all, but it's actually not. Um, in March Madness, people people love seeing the Cinderella story, and they bet that way, funny enough. But generally speaking, yeah, the underdogs winning um, is good for the house. People tend to bet the favorites, particularly on parlays. They like to, they like to parlay the favorites, and so that's always good. People tend to bet the overs, so um, if you see unders coming through, that's uh, generally better for the house. You know, people want to see more scoring, I guess, not less. And a lot of player props now. Also, same story. People tend to bet the overs there more than the unders. So, uh, you know, a lot of people betting on player props. So much so, one of the fun uh, things I thought this past Super Bowl, everybody was asking me, is it good for you? You know, the KC wins, Philly wins. Who, what's better? And it actually doesn't matter. What matters is, um, does Miles Sanders score? Does Travis Kelsey score? Does Jalen Hurts score? 
Um, and it just shows how much the industry's changed year over year and how much the betting has moved towards these proposition bets. Well, it's funny. I was just going to say that one of the most exciting things I find is when you do the who scores first or, or also just to open it. Will Mahomes get a, get a touchdown? Tell us how valuable the, what, what a lot of us think is a giveaway is for people, uh, for new people. Well, really, it's something that I think gets people to experience the product right away in a simple way, right? And, and at the beginning of the game, it shows them that not all bets have to be just, you know, who's going to win the game um, or, or really these full game bets that you can have a bet that on the first play of the game, um, you're going to know if you won or lost. You have bet in Super Bowl at the coin toss, the most popular proposition bet, you know, before the game even starts, if you won that one. Um, so lots of cool, fun ways. And this is why I think that this is just we're just scratching the surface on the product. There's so much growth left, so much opportunity to engage customers. The more things we introduce, um, it, the more engagement we see, the more spend we see. Um, and, and we're still so early in innovating. I think some of the most exciting things in in-game betting are still yet to come. We've got to solve this latency uh, issue with the feed and the video feeds to make sure that the real uh, the real time feeds are available so people can sync up their live bets. But really, just that's opportunity, and there's so much left there. And it's great too because people watch sports more when they when they bet more. So it's it's a, a virtuous cycle for both the leagues and um, the media rights holders as well. Just. The TV people and the football people know that you have made it so a fourth quarter of a game, of a lopsided game, which most people would turn off, has become just as important as the first quarter? They know. They know. And they and they're, this, this is why I think it's going well as an industry, too. They're engaged. And I said this years ago. I said if we're going to see a successful uh, sports betting industry develop in the United States, it has to be with the leagues engaged. If the leagues are fighting this, if they don't like it, if they don't feel like they're a participant and that they um, you know, have some sort of say in, in the way that this is going, then it's not going to go well. And I think what we've seen and part of why it's been such a, a high growth industry is you've seen great engagement from all the sports leagues. They understand the impact that this has on their sport. They understand that a lot of their fans want this and that if they're going to serve their fans, they can't ignore the fact that a very significant chunk of their fans want this and at the same time they've been measured about it they said not all of our fans want this we don't want to overwhelm the broadcast with sports betting um, we want to make sure that there's some limitations the nfl for example has placed a limit on only five ads per every nfl game so i think it's been a real great collaborative effort there and i'm really excited to see where it goes from here. were you surprised how long it took for the networks to finally talk about even just the line and how good that is for you that they do it you know, it, it, it's something that I think just everything moves slower than it should. And then all of a sudden the floodgates open and, and it moves quickly. That just seems how these things work in the world. And um, I think this has been an example of that, that, um, you know, yeah, it took longer than you thought. And then all of a sudden when um, one one starts, they all do. And everyone seems to get it at the same time. And it's um, it's fun to see it coming together right now. And I, I really think it's a, a positive trend that will continue. And. Um, I don't see any signs of slowdown. Well, look, it's terrific. I love the efficiency uh, because I want you to make money. I love the fact that it's as fun as ever, and you stuck with it through even some very big reversals, and you never quit because that's who you are, Jason. That's that's Jason Robbins. He's the co-founder, chairman, and he is CEO of DraftKings. Jason, I love it when you come on the show. 
I love being on. Hopefully next time I'll do it in person. And thank sure. you. I know you, you've always been a supporter. I appreciate it. I sure am. Thank you so much. Bad Money's back after the break. Coming up, blue skies ahead on the cloud. After a Friday morning rally, is this tech stock worth checking out? Keep it here. Cloud stocks got crushed last year and then rebounded like crazy in the first quarter. We're all collectively trying to figure out what they're worth, which leads to some roller coaster situations and, frankly, some things I don't understand. Consider the case of Cloudflare. It's the content delivery network with a cybersecurity kicker. After rebounding from $37 at its lows late last year, although it back up to around $60, Cloudflare reported a widely panned quarter last Thursday. Technically, the results were simply mixed to positive, a slightly re- slight revenue miss coupled with a solid earnings beat. And the forecast, both for the quarter and for the full year, showed the same pattern. Slightly softer sales, but stronger earnings. I thought that's what we were looking for. Unfortunately, that's not what Wall Street wanted to see, so the stock plummeted 21% last Friday and spent most of the week sliding lower. Money managers love profitability in this environment, but they also want to see robust revenue growth. You might not be able to get them all at once. Yesterday, though, Cloudflare held an Investor Day event where they spelled out what's wrong, citing the macro environment, some elongated sales cycles. That seemed to stop the bleeding. The stock pulled nearly 9% today. That made sense to me. Still, even with this rebound, it's down 26% where it was trading before the quarter. That doesn't make sense to me. So is initial reaction overblown? Can the stock keep bouncing? We maybe need to be more cautious. Let's check in with Matthew Prince. He's the co-founder, chairman, and CEO of Cloudflare. You get a better read on the situation. Mr. Prince, welcome back to Mid Money. Jim, thanks for having me. I'm glad you're here, Matthew. Now, I have to admit, when I saw your, uh, your results, I was thrilled. You had done the pivot that I want all of the software companies uh, to do because I want profitability. Uh, were you as surprised as, frankly, I was that just a little bit of slowing in sales but a nice ramp in profitability somehow was decided that your business was no longer worth what it was? You know, I think, Jim, you've been consistent at really saying to me anytime we've talked, that this was a time when the economy was getting harder, that you wanted to make sure that you showed that you had control of the levers of your business. And I think that's exactly what we've done at Cloudflare. And I've never been more confident in what Cloudflare is delivering. We see the value that our customers are taking from our products. But I think what is happening is IT departments are getting slower to buy. And that extension of sales cycles not only affected Cloudflare, but any of the high-velocity sales, tech-growing companies, it's going to push the revenue out. But what we're not seeing is any slowing in our win rates. We are still winning against competitors. It's just taking a little bit longer for those deals to come. Okay, so let's go over. Uh, you're absolutely right. There's a whole slew of companies in your area that got penalized simply. It is not you. But what I think that our viewers are probably wondering is, what does the word elongated mean? More checkoffs, more people look at it, it sits on a desk longer? Because that's something they may not understand because we know that what you deliver is something that is mandatory and necessary. Absolutely, and, and we continue to be a must-have, not a nice-to-have. So the deals are closing, but in our case, we saw in Q1, deals extend by 27% in terms of how long it took for them to close. And what we're seeing is that CFOs, when they're nervous about what's happening in the economy, what's happening in the banking sector, they're measuring two, three, four times before they sign. They eventually sign, but that slowdown means that it slows down when revenue can be recognized, but we're still getting that revenue. It just takes a little bit longer. to. Okay, so now I think you need to explain to people why Cloudflare is necessary, why you did in the end triumph over the elongated cycles. 
You know, I think that at the end of the day, the one part of every IT budget that's not getting cut is security, right. because security is critically important. And in these days, when we're seeing more cyber attacks launched from more nation states, individual hackers going after every company that's out there, Cloudflare is absolutely critical in order to make sure that anyone who is online is safe. All right. Now, is it possible that there were some changes made to your sales organization that may have slowed things a bit? So actually, no. And I think that that was a misunderstanding. Okay, explain that because that's, you know, you get these, you, you, know, you know, you get these narratives and they're yep. hard to put to bed, which is why I'm glad, Matthew, that you're here. Well, I'm so happy to be here again. And in person, I think the last time we did this was early March of 2020. Right, so it's great the to be. But we made changes to our sales organization, but we knew we were going to do those things. That's something where we hired someone 120 days ago, gave them a 120 day plan and they executed on it. What I think is actually really important is we didn't, the, the changes weren't the cause of us seeing slower sales cycles. Instead, the fact that we were making those changes was enabled by the fact that we were seeing that. All change requires pain, and we were actually using the challenges of now to say, what are the parts of our organization that aren't world-class, and how can we make them world-class? And that's going to make us better at selling to larger and larger enterprises and closing even more of the Fortune 500 than already use Cloudflare today. Okay, I, that I thought I was going to get it, that there are a phenomenal number of companies that use you and find you frankly, indispensable. Uh, maybe, again, you can tell our viewers what these organizations that use you are afraid of and what you stop. Yeah, so I mean, we stop anything that could be a network security threat to any of our companies. And so today, a third of the Fortune 500 rely on Cloudflare in order to be fast, reliable, and most importantly, secure online. But what's amazing is that if we look at that every single day, those companies keep getting larger and larger and larger, using more and more of our products. And so what we're seeing is that even just selling to our existing customers, even just selling our existing products, we believe that just with that, we're able to get to $5 billion of revenue. And that's a, just an astonishing amount of growth that we see over the, over the years to come. And people have to realize, even though they think that, well, wait, wait a second, the growth is slowed, to get to that level, you have to be of a very elite group of people to even get to that level this quickly. So maybe you can just trade people out to say, you know, you may think we're slowing, we're faster than the other guys that you think are passing us. Yeah. No matter what, again, we're, I think everyone in the high growth sector that has really fast sales cycles like Cloudflare is going to see challenges this quarter. And even those people with elongated sales cycles, those challenges are going to show up next quarter or the quarter after that. But what I think is amazing about us is, again, our products continue to sell. Our customers love what we're doing. They're, they're signing up for more and more services. The world is not getting less scary in terms of cyber attacks. And so that gives me a ton of confidence in exactly what it is that we're delivering. And when I look at other companies that have subscription businesses and how they came out of 08, 09, whether that's Microsoft or Salesforce or Adobe, they actually saw their, their growth accelerating after that. And that's exactly yes. what we want to do as the economy does recover. IT spending is going to come back for the next little while. It's going to be challenging. But again, we're a must-have, not a nice time. Right, and everyone must understand that, that, that what Matthew's saying uh, is not something that he said alone. I, I would say that with the exception, there's a handful, maybe two or three, just because they were caught up in some sort of great AI cycle that already just started, didn't have these problems. Uh, almost everybody else did, and I'm glad you came on and had your, your meeting where people upgraded and realized that perhaps they had been too hasty in making a judgment against your great company. I want to thank Matthew Prince, co-founder and CEO of Cloudflare. Easy to remember, SimulNet. I've liked it from the beginning. I like it still. Bad Buddy's back after the break. 
And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Cover the lightning round. Let's start with Chris in Montana. Chris. Hey, how you doing today, buddy? So, I'm calling in. I'm very, very curious. Hope I got a diamond in the rough here. Um, some old oil pikes in our back at it again. The Welch and Profac Holding. Okay. What's the stock? Profac. No, no, no. We, we, this cycle is not allowing the tertiary oil service place to work. We don't want that one. Let's go to John in New York. John. Booyah. Booyah. Uh, I'm actually Michael from San Francisco, but I'm interested in a company out of the Bay oh, Area. Sorry. Samsara. Yes. Tickers IOT. Oh, man, very, very expensive and hasn't pivoted yet. Still losing money. It's not my cup of tea. I need now to go to John in New York. John, no, I'm not done. John in New York. John, John, John. Jim. Yes. Booyah, Suya. Booyah. What, what do you think of in mode? I like the devices very much. I'd probably like to try them out this weekend. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TDM Ameritrade. have a brief interlude right now, a moment between bank failures where the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation can really do something that will put an end to this mini financial crisis for good. When the regional banks started falling apart in March, the FDIC was caught flat-footed by the speed with which deposits poured out of these institutions. Practically happened overnight. But when First Republic finally collapsed last week, that was very different. They had plenty of time to repair, so their inability to take care of the wind down with any precision or rigor caught us off guard and handed a great bank to J.P. Morgan for a song, Bushland. So what has to happen? It's pretty simple. That's the solutions. I think Silicon Valley Bank or Signature or Silvergate, the first three to go, should have gone because they had real credit problems. First Republic invested safely, though, had no real credit problems but couldn't meet redemptions. Different issue entirely. Nor do the other banks that were almost broken this week, chiefly by short sellers banging down the two regional bank ETFs. And just knocking all the bank stocks down with them. This will continue until one of three solutions occurs. First, the FDIC could raise the insurance to $1 million unilaterally, which Congress will endorse ex post facto because Congress loves the regional banks. Or you simply offer insurance for accounts over $250,000 to those who want it, coupled with a one-time levy of all banks to make sure all the insurance is covered. Yeah, just charge a fee for insurance for individuals. Or the FDIC could levy all depositors at all banks to pay for the insurance. It has to be universal, so every bank and money fund will be the toll keeper. You want that level of assurance if you're going to keep your money in anywhere, not just a regional bank. Maybe you think it would take an act of Congress to get this stuff done. That's wrong. This last one would be like the AT fee you pay when you take money out of some other bank that you own. You have to pay. Nobody says you can't be charged. It's just the cost of doing business. We also need the FDIC to dispense money to struggling institutions as long as the only problem is what's known as a durational issue with their bond holdings. If the bank lacks the resources because its capital is tied up in long-term bonds, but their withdrawals come rapidly, the FDIC can offer them insurance on an emergency basis. There should never be a bank run on a jet. I mean, there should never be a genuinely good bank, one that bought risk-free treasuries and agencies and just didn't anticipate that they could be underwater in an unprecedented 525 basis point set of hikes in 14 months that nobody foresaw. We don't want to live in a country with only a handful of major banks and no smaller ones, which is what will happen if we keep letting more situations play out like First Republic did. 
There are a lot of considerations here. We don't want the rich banks like J.P. Morgan buying a bunch of their newly deceased compadres, allowing them to stifle competition. Capitalism runs on competition. So we, we want a wide variety of banks going up against each other, especially local banks, which are indeed the bedrock members of their communities. The FDIC can prevent these banks from going under, but based on what happened last weekend, that's clearly not what they're doing. Let's hope it's just cluelessness and not a lack of political will. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you Monday. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Mad Money Disclaimer. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.